by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. I have seen so many souls saved by being able to preach this very word, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but we're just going to look at verse 20 today, and it says... So we are Christ ambassadors. Do you know what an ambassador is? It's someone from a, a faraway land who is representing that land here where they are. And we are Christ ambassadors. We are not from here. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not from here. You ain't from, say, you ain't from around here, are you? <laughs> we ain't from here. I belong to the kingdom of God. Now, I live in the world, but I'm not of the world. And I have a job description. Look at your neighbor and say, you got a job description. You're an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. It's a prestigious position. So we are Christ ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. Your messengers. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You want to know what your message is? Tell this world, come back to God. Amen? But see, we're living in a time that we're having to plead with the Christians to come back to God. There's a great fall in a way. But we knew it was coming. Because Jesus told us that in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. And there will be a great falling away. In Hebrews 3.12 it says, take care brothers. So he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not talking to the world. Take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Is it possible that a Christian could have an evil, unbelieving heart? He says, take care. And that unbelieving and that evil heart will lead you to fall away from the living God. People are falling away from the church like flies these days. They're falling away. And therefore, they're falling asleep on the job. What's the job description? Ambassadors. They're falling asleep on the job. And I'm here today to plead with you. Come back to God. I'm here to say it's time that Passion Church wake up. It's time Passion Church to shake things up. It's time for us to get back in the fight. We've been knocked down with a worldwide pandemic. We've had people try to control us and tell us when and when we can't have service. We've been trying to shut up by the woke mob. We've been trying to tell, they've been trying to tell us it ain't okay for us to say that there is a truth. And it seemed like, well, we're not living in a friendly Christian nation anymore. 
There might be some persecution in the house. There might be some people that don't want us around anymore. You're going to have to make a decision. Judgment begins at the house of God. And if we fall away, what chance does the world have? Oh, there's a great falling away. Make no mistake about it. But I got good news. You're the ones here today. You're the ones still hooked up with God. Still cares about His will being done. Still honoring your work description. Your job description. Say job description. You're still ambassadors. You ain't got fired yet. That's good news. <laughs> God would say to you, out of all the generations that has come before us, you were saved for such a time as this. You were that end time generation that God has saved the best for last. He knew it was going to get wackadoo in the world. He knew it was going to get hard. He knew there would be persecution, but he knew you would stick and stay. And you'd keep coming to work every day. And you keep pleading with the world to come back to God. He's trusting in you. He's believing in you. To be his hands and his feet in this generation. And you're up to the task, my brothers and sisters. And I don't know about you, but we got knocked out of youth villages because of COVID. We got knocked out of the nursing home ministry as the COVID. It seemed like we're just going through the motions. We're trying to stir ourselves up, but we're not replacing old ministries with new ministries. It's time to get back in the fight. At some point, you got to wake up. And we got to get back to doing our job description. I've been just feeling a stirring in my heart, man. I'm just going to start knocking on doors. Asking that they need prayer and telling people about Jesus again. I'm hungry to win souls. Now, I'm not saying that I, that I ain't had my struggles. The jail ministry team would say, where's pastor been? For about 20 years, I never missed a Sunday. You can ask Brother Tom back here. Now sometimes it's two or three weeks I don't go in a row. Well, my wife says, you know, we got to have family stuff. And I got excuses. I got a life. I got things. you know what? I want to go. And my heart is yearning to pull out 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or whatever scripture that brings life into the lost. I missed you guys last week when I wasn't here. I'm excited to be preaching to you today. Nothing makes you feel as good as being who you were created to be. So yes, I'm a little unhinged today. 
He's acting a little crazy. Watch out. Could we slip out the back? No. Lock the door. No, I'm going to let some of this craziness rub off on you today. Because it's time. It's time. We're living in a time where you either get crazy for Jesus or you just go crazy. You're going to be a nut. It's just a matter of what boat you're screwed on to. Let me get back to my message. But I say it's time that we get back to actively expressing empathy for the lost around us instead of just talking bad about them. That we begin to see people again. It's our job description. Say job description. Our community is full of hurting and hopeless people. It's full of lonely and lost people. And they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And they're sinning and they're spiraling ever downwards. And we're sitting there talking bad about them and saying, I'm glad I'm not like that. You know, Jesus told the story about two people praying. The Pharisee went up there in his robes and said, well, look at me, God. I tithe and I do all these things. Maybe he did. But he said, I thank you I'm not like that man over there, that tax collector. Jesus said the tax collector couldn't even look up. He just beat his chest in, in judging his own self and said, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. But Jesus said he was the one justified. Because if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. we got to stop looking at the world like they're our enemies. They're our mission field. And it's time that we begin to find some new ministries, whatever they may be. Maybe you have some ideas. But I'm going to talk about a, a mission field today called Your World. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You say, Pastor, I've never been out of DeSoto County. I'm not going into all the world. You can go into all your world, wherever your world is, and we can begin to see people. I talk about that a lot. Y'all probably heard me preach on it. Y'all remember Hagar? She was the woman that had a baby for Abraham and Sarah. That whole messed up deal. Hagar was an Egyptian slave. I don't know if she was a slave in Egypt, but she became a slave when Pharaoh, I, I think that time that Abraham went to, to Egypt during a famine, and Pharaoh was infatuated with Abraham's wife, and he thought he was her sister and all, and, and he gave Abraham a lot of cattle and stuff, and he gave him male and female servants. I think Hagar was caught up in that transaction. Hagar was probably a young girl. She's from Egypt. She's living in Pharaoh's house. She's probably got her eye on some young man. Her, her, she's got her hopes and dreams just like any other teenage young lady or something. Got her whole life ahead of her. And now Pharaoh's done gave her to this old man, this old couple who, who wanders around in a tent out in the wilderness. Not what she would have chosen for herself. 
And so she's out there for many years. This old couple's trying to have a kid. They can't have one, so they come up with this wise idea that they're going to get Abraham to sleep with Hagar. Now, Hagar must be thinking to herself, this man is 86 years old. This is not the guy I had in mind. And so, she's a slave. She marries her master in this really twisted plot and becomes pregnant. As her baby is growing in her womb, I imagine her hormones are going a little crazy. She's a little upset about the way her life is going. She's pregnant by this old guy. She gets a little snippy with her. Her master, Sarah. What would you call it, a mistress? Is that what you call it? Sarah says, I'm not putting up with that. And so she, they, they begin to clash. A clash of wheels, so to speak. And Sarah is in a stronger position. And she wins the clash. And so Hagar is like, I, look, I just don't even care anymore. I can imagine the way she felt. I'm a slave in a foreign land. I've been taken away from my home, my family. Now I've been giving myself in marriage to some old guy. And I'm about to have his baby. This is not my life that I planned. I'm out of here. You know what she does? She runs away. She doesn't have a plan. She don't know where she's going. She doesn't even bring food and water with her. But she gets out there and she just sits. And it says that the angel of the Lord, now you know when it says the angel of the Lord, I believe it's talking about the pre-incarnate Jesus many times. You can believe what you want. But anyway, the Bible says the angel of the Lord comes there and sees her in her distress. Why? Why would the Lord of heaven's armies care about a little slave girl that's having a bad day? But he seeks her out and he says, look, that baby inside of you I'm going to make him great. He's going to be the leader of nations. I know this in what you thought your life was supposed to be, but listen, I got a plan, and I want you to go back to Sarah. She said, okay. And she went back. That's not where she wanted to go, but sometimes it's enough just to know that God asked it of you, that God cares enough you know, we will do crazy things if we just know God is on our side. It, that is the motivation to know that God is for us and not against us. And I can tell you, he will never leave you or forsake you. You can do hard things. You can overcome a life that you didn't plan. You can give your life in service in so many ways. Because this isn't, this isn't all of your life. There is an eternal life to come. That is going to be so much grander because you were willing to lay down your life on this side. So don't despise troubles and sorrows in your life when you're doing it for the Lord. Jesus visited Hagar in her lowly state. In Genesis 16, 13, it says, therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. 
Now, I can imagine what she called him before that. She probably called him Abraham's God. You know, she's from Egypt. They're worshiping pyramids or whatever they do over there. She's probably thinking, well, you know, Abraham's got his religious beliefs. He's got his God. And she probably referred to him as Abraham's God, I would imagine. But now, she uses another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. It got a little personal. She said, you are the God who sees me. And she also says, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Have I seen God? Has God seen me in my distress? Because he saw her, she saw him. And if these people in this world can but know that God sees them, they will see him. She went on to have that baby, by the way, just a side note. Anybody, anybody remember what his name was? Ishmael. Do you know what Ishmael means? It means he hears. <laughs> I thought that was neat. You remember the story in the New Testament after Jesus was resurrected and the early church is forming in the book of Acts and Peter and John are going to the temple to pray at the 3 o'clock prayer time. And in the gate beautiful, this man, this lame from birth, had been laid there in, at the gate to receive alms. You know, he's got his little sign, we'll work for food, but he really won't work. You know, he can't get up. That's what he did for a living. I mean, he, he didn't have much choice. And so they're walking in, and the man asks for alms. He says, gentlemen, gentlemen, can you give me some alms? And in Acts 3, 4, it says that Peter and John looked at him intently. Now, you like me, when you pull up on the on-ramp on the interstate and that guy's over there with his little dog and he's got his, his uh, wagon full of plastic stuff in there and he's got his sign saying, need a beer, give me $5, you're trying to look every way but at him. Well, I mean, he's just going to spend it on beer. He's, you know, this is just what he does for a living. The temptation is, a, I don't see him at all. Oh, I'm, I'm all of a sudden on my phone, you know, or changing the radio station. But that's what happens here. Peter and John are walking in to pray. Oh, we can be, I could be deep in prayer and still not look at that dude. You know what I'm saying? But it says that Peter and John decided to do something different. They looked at him intently. What does that mean? Do you ever look at people intently with, with intention? Is there intentionality on the way you see people? What were they looking for? Were they looking for a knife or a gun? No, I believe they were looking and intentionally feeling empathy for this man's plight. 
They, they had care for somebody besides themselves. They looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. So there was an exchange. I see you. You see me. How many of you know that you're not going to be able to reach a lost person until you're willing to look at their plight intently and they see that you see? They're not going to see you till you see them. He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he grabbed him and yanked him to his feet. And the man who had never walked before received of God. But it was that seeing that opened the door to the receiving. I guess my point is we won't be intentional like Jesus until we begin to see people. Our schedules are busy. We're on, a, on the clock. I got so-and-so time to be there. I don't have time to look at people. You say, I got a job to do. But what, what, I thought you had a job description. I thought it was an ambassador representing the kingdom of God to these lost people. What about that job description? When you're in heaven 10,000 years, you ain't even going to remember the name of the company you're working for right now. But your rewards in heaven are going to be based on the people that you looked at intently while you were here serving your job description as an ambassador for Christ. Do you see the difference? Make time for people. People are more important than playing golf or, or getting that loaf of bread. When you sit, when, if we would open our eyes. I haven't been doing it like I, I you know, I, that's why I preach loud because I'm preaching to myself. You you know I'm going to preach the hardest at you when I'm getting upset with myself for being lackadaisical and, and not doing my job description. I haven't been seeing people, and I'm stirring myself to begin to see people again. we got to be intentional. Jesus not only was intentional about seeing people that he happened to run into, but he was intentional about going out into the community to find people to look at. He wanted to see people. He, made, he ranged his schedule around his job description. <clears throat> Let's talk about a few people that Jesus noticed. He noticed Zacchaeus up in the tree. You say, well, that was easy. Zacchaeus is up in the tree. He's trying to be noticed. Do you have people in your life that's trying to be noticed? We can, we can avoid them too. If somebody at your job keeps coming up to you asking you questions about your church or whatever, you know, about what do you do when, and you're like, dude, find out for yourself, you know. I ain't got time for this. But that's just a little Zacchaeus up in the tree. They should be the first ones we spot. 
that are trying to see us, trying to see Christ in us. So that's, that's low-hanging fruit, so to speak, <laughs> up in the tree, all right? Look for those people that, that are trying to be seen. Secondly, Jesus noticed the demoniac howling in the tombs. Well, that's pretty easy. He's out in the tombs howling. He's making a commotion. Yeah, but what was Jesus doing in the tombs? That's not a place that I hang out regular. <laughs> Is it you? I'm not, I'm not, hey, man, I got some time off. Let's go to the tombs. <laughs> People are living in the tombs all around us. Sometimes, I mean, if, if you're really doing good at your job description, you will go where they are, where those people are cutting themselves, where those people are howling at the moon, so give up on life that everybody else has cast them to the dogs. All you got to do is go down there to CC's Pizza at buffet time. There's at least 15 people you can lay hands on right there. Go to the South Haven Walmart. You can see a lot of people. He noticed a woman with the issue of blood. And all she did was touch his cloak in the middle of a crowd. He said, who touched me? Peter said, everybody touched you. You're in a crowd. But he said, no, no, no. I, it was a different kind of touch. Somebody was pulling on, me, on my robe. I, I felt virtue go out of me. See, Jesus was what you call spiritually sensitive. He was prayed up. He was noticing those people that other people don't notice. He was feeling them. He didn't even feel the touch, but he felt them pulling, longing, needing. And if we will pray, and we will stay prayed up, and we will ask the Holy Spirit, oh, if you'll ask the Holy Spirit, this is a great prayer. I'm telling you. The most power I've ever seen in my life was one time when I asked the Holy Spirit, let me see people through Jesus' eyes. He will give you the gifts of the Spirit. And you will see people that other people will not be able to see. And you will begin to call them out from their sickness and call them out from their hurts and pains. And you'll be able to plead with them, come to God, and He will heal you. He heard blind Bartimaeus' voice in the crowd. Once again, as a crowd, everybody's making noise, everybody's talking, they're walking along. In fact, the people that were sitting around, blind Bart, saying, shut up, Bart! But Jesus, He was listening. He was listening. Somebody was calling His name, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me! He said, tell him I'll be right over. I tell you, it's a lot easier when they're pulling on you. And you, you got to go breaking a hard shell off their heart. We don't need to miss those opportunities. If somebody is asking you questions about your faith or whatever, don't blow them off. If you got kids, check this out. One time, 
the disciples were holding little kids away from getting to Jesus. He's like, whoa, don't do that. Let the little children come unto me. Maybe you got kids asking you, your kids are asking you questions about God. And he's like, oh, will they ever stop with these questions? You're only going to have this opportunity for a f- couple of years, for a few years, and they're going to stop asking you anything. They don't want to know your opinion once they become a teen- teenager. But when they're kids, Jesus knew. Oh, he said the kingdom of God is filled with people with hearts like little children that want to know. I tell you, Straight up. If I ever stop being a pastor, y'all kick me to the curb or whatever, I'm going back to the children's church. That's where I see fruit. Oh, my goodness. You get to speak into their lives at a time where they're willing to listen and believe without all these objections and all this rational, reasonable human thinking and all the lies being blocking them from receiving, you're speaking into their little hearts. In fact, if anybody in here wants to minister to children, we need helpers right now. We need helpers. Just see me after after the service. We, we won't throw you in there to have to be a teacher. We'll, you just be a helper. You just be back there. You help corral them, and you help love on them. And uh, the teacher will teach, and you, you just do it one Sunday a month. But we need helpers back there. If we don't get some helpers back there pretty soon, I'm not going to wear my people out back there. We have people that are back there three weeks a month right now. That cannot continue. We'll, just, we'll keep the children in here. That'll be fine. I'm just going to be honest. But I'm telling you, you want to know a need? You want to know a place where you can put, put your faith into action right now? Come tell pastor that, hey, I'll be a helper in the children's church. And if you want to be a teacher, we'll, we'll train you to be a teacher as well. Yes, sir, John. You going to let them ride your scooter? Take them around the block. <laughs> Jesus didn't ignore the Samaritan woman at the well. In fact, he said we must needs go through Samaria. He went there on purpose. And this woman was a, of a dif- different, how you say it, ethnicity. Maybe you could say a race. She was a hated Samaritan the way the Jews felt. There was animosity between the two groups. Jesus didn't say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, Minister to those who have skin color like me. He didn't say, I'm just going to minister to, you know, the ones that are in a certain category of sin that I don't hate so much. Right? No. He saw her. He talked to her about her sin. But he felt compassion. And she felt seen. And so, in fact, so much that she went and told the whole city to come see a man that saw me, that felt me, that knew me. And the whole town got saved because of her testimony.
Jesus saw Matthew hiding behind the tax booth. You know, tax collectors were hated too. And, and his wasn't because of a condition that he couldn't control. This was because he had made bad decisions. He was a traitor to his Jewish race. He sold them out and was working for the Romans, and they hated him. And he was hiding behind it. I can imagine he was glad that he was in a cage. When they had to come pay that taxes, I imagine the words he had to hear of disgust to who he was as a person. And I imagine he felt like a caged animal because of his decisions. But Jesus didn't cast him away. When the other disciples were like, what are you doing? Don't call him of all people. He said, Matthew, come follow me. He sees us right in the midst of our junk. Jesus noticed me in the midst of my junk. And he noticed you in the midst of your junk. And Jesus would say right now that noticers, people who notice, will be world changers. Like that video we saw. If we will see people, we will notice the pain around us. We will feel an empathy and a willingness to give of ourselves and the laying down of our own agenda, the laying down of our plans, a laying down of our lives in service to others. We will be world changers. It's not going to matter. Though, you know, the other day I, I told you I worked at that job. I'm just thinking of things. Y'all, we might be here a while today. I'm just enjoying myself so much. The other day, I was uh, cleaning out a, a shelf in my house trying to make room because the Lord has somehow opened the windows of heaven and poured out blessing there's not room enough to receive it. <laughs> and I was cleaning off my shelves, and there, there was like four plaques, salesman of the month, whatever, from power and telephone supply that I worked here. Nice plaques. I got those boogers, and I said, man... If I'm making room, where am I going to put all these plaques? You know, at one time they meant something to me. So I walked outside, and I walked around the bush, and I lifted the lid on that garbage can, and I threw them in there <laughs> because it don't mean nothing. we got to get our eyes on what matters in this world. Whew. Pastor Bruce, the guy that was anointed to be pastor of Montgomery last week, you saw on the screen, he was at Alexander City. He's a good friend of mine, fellow pastor at Passion Church, and we talk all the time. He, he told me last weekend, he said that for a little while there, he had taken a job at a local factory. He wanted to get into the community. He said, man, the churches, I can't talk them to getting out of the walls. He said, I, but I'll get in there in the community myself. I just want to minister to somebody. So he took a job at a local factory. He said he was there, and he was having conversations in the break room during their break time and stuff. And somebody asked him, he said, what, what do you do? What did you do before this? He said, well, I'm a pastor at a local church. He said it was funny how all of a sudden everybody in there stopped cussing. 
he said that all of a sudden, a lot of people just, ah, we've got time to get back to work, you know. But he said over the next few weeks that he worked there, that people would slip up to him and catch him and say, you know, uh, I used to go to church. What kind of church is that you got? Just, just ask, just probing questions. And then they, they would slowly be working around to trying to find out how God feels about that or this or that. He said that he had people saying, I'm going to come to your church, Pastor. I, ain't been to, I, I don't go to church no more. I'm coming to your church. He said, I don't like these other churches. It wasn't that he probably didn't like these other churches, but he just found, the guy found a man that saw him. Saw, saw a man that was relatable. And that's what I tell y'all. People are hungry for the word. They're starving for the word of God out there. And we have the words of eternal life. We have the words that they need to hear to bring correction. To bring salvation is what they need. And, 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 it, and they're looking for an invite to church. They're looking for somebody to say, come sit with me at church. Try it out. Well, I'm not just going to walk up in no church. And I, nobody's inviting me. I don't know anybody. They're, they're hungry for the things of God. Pastor Bruce proved that. These rough old factory workers. It's only because one man decided to see his community. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Salt purifies. Salt extends the life of. Salt flavors. Makes it worthwhile, right? Relatable, palatable. You are the salt of this earth. You make life exciting. You are the ones down here that bring light into the darkness. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is if the salt has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Have you noticed that salt in a shaker that's never shaken hardens and it won't come out? Like Christians' hearts do when they're not shaken for their community. They won't come out of the church. They just sit in there and do no good. Say worthless. I refuse to let it happen. And I know you do too. We must flavor the culture of DeSoto County in which we live. 1 John 2.2 2 says, says of Jesus, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, but not only for our sins, but for the sins of all the world. You can't get an attitude, well, I'm saved and that's all I need. Do you understand that Jesus bled, suffered, and died and he didn't quit until his last drop of blood was drained, pierced from his heart. So that we could be saved by faith in him. Now we've found faith in him, but he says, okay, 
Once you do, I'm making you my ambassador to go tell other people so they don't die and go to hell. How will we justify when we get to heaven and stand before Jesus who gave it all and say, well, you know, I was embarrassed to say anything. Well, I didn't know any scriptures. Why not? They said, why does your master eat with sinners? Because he loves them. He knows they're sick and they need a doctor. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That was his job description. He made it possible and now we're his hands and feet. When he was here, he said, I am the light of the world. When he left, he said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Don't stop being salty. You heard me say, go whole hog, right? Well, don't hog the gospel. How many of you heard about what happened at the Grammys? I didn't see it. I saw a clip of it. Some girl was on there saying this next act is a rebellious act and, and they're unholy and they should be applauded. And all the people were like, yay! And then he, the guy dressed in a devil suit with horns and everything is singing a song called Unholy. Some song about cheating on your wife like it's a good thing, I think. He's singing with some trans dude. And all around him are scantily clad little devilettes. Dirty dancing. And worshiping him. On TV in front of all our children. And I thought to myself, what would Jesus do? Then I thought to myself, Jesus would be trying to bridge the gap between that broken young man who would dare do that and say, How can I how can I win him over and show him my love? So he has stopped rebelling against me. That would be the heart of Jesus. Not calling down fire from heaven. You know not what spirit you're of, he said to his disciples when they had that idea. Jesus is always trying to bridge the gap. He knows what manner of man we are. We're sinners through and through. And the only hope that we have is his spirit creating us anew. And giving us the power to overcome sin. Look, there's only two types of people. We talked about this in a life group this week. Our life groups are phenomenal. I went to both of them. I was so excited. Okay, so listen. We're talking about different kinds of sin. Okay, so you got the, the hostile homosexual community, right? They're mad at the church, and, and, and many of them hate Christians because they dare to speak against their sin, right? But what good does it do for us to return evil for evil? They got, I don't blame them for being mad at the church the way we've approached them. We act like their sin is the only sin in the world. And that we're, how, we, we, we won't even 
speak to such a person. When we ourselves was caught in adultery, fornication, pride, gluttony, bringing strife, which is also an abomination to the Lord. Why do we categorize sinners and say these people, we're not ministering to them, they're our enemy. There's two kinds of people. There's saved, forgiven people, and there's lost people. And we were all lost. We're called to be witnesses, not judges. You hear what I'm saying? It's not that we don't judge what's good or wrong according to the truth of God's word, that we don't make certain judgments, but we don't, we don't condemn people to hell and make that judgment. That's not our call. Jesus himself said that the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, that, but through him they might be saved. That is his heart. Ezekiel 18, 23, God says, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Says the Lord God. And not that he, sh and not that he should turn from his ways, his evil ways, and live. God wants them to turn so bad. We're not going to argue anybody out of sin, are we? Have you ever done that? You'll be the first person I've ever heard of that was able to argue somebody out of their sin. We're going to sit and talk about how wretched you are and make you feel bad enough. I already felt bad before I got saved. You didn't have to tell me about myself. Let me close with a story. I was at Home Depot about two weeks ago. And I was getting some paint. I was spray painting some ceiling tiles. You can see I got the wrong color, those two tiles right there above you. <coughs> ah, close. But I was getting some paint, and I was sitting there at Home Depot, and a guy came by, and he looked at me. He said, Pastor. And I kind of recognized him, all, you know, kind of a little bit. And I said, hey. He said, you remember me? Soto County Jail. You, you come down there and preach. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, how you doing? I asked him about his life. He said, yeah, things are good now. You know, things are good. And uh, we talked for a minute. He said, you know, uh, well, he's fixing to go. And he started to round the, round the aisle, you know, and he left. And then he, he turned back around. And he came back and he said, Pastor, can I be honest with you? He went on to tell me his wife had left him. That he had hurt his leg and had lost his job and, and he was living on the streets. I said, here, man. I had $20 in my wallet and I said, maybe this will help a little bit, you know. He said, well, he, I appreciate it, I appreciate it so much. He said, you think you could give me a ride to Tunica? I'm living in a, one of those hotels out of the casinos. I got a friend's letting me stay there. I said, yeah, let me pay for this paint. And as I, I, was get, I picked the wrong color paint and I was about to leave, he said, let me show you something. And he had a basket. And he had four or five items in the, back of, in the bottom of it. He said, you see that? 
He said, I found a receipt, and I, w I picked these items off the shelf, and I was about to take them up there and try to get my money back for them. In other words, he was about to steal those items so I could have some food tonight. And I said, well, what you going to do? He says, I'm happy to leave it here, Pastor. So we got in the truck, and I drove him all the way to Tunica, almost, at least down to 61 and some service station. And I'm going to be honest, most of the time when I do something like that, the Holy Spirit is just moving through me, and I'm giving them wisdom and scriptures, and, you know, I can feel the gifts of the Spirit operating. But it was like I was so dry. I was like, am I even saved? <laughs> All I could say was, man, I don't know, you know, listen to the Lord, whatever he says. <laughs> that was about my extent of the wisdom I was able to give this guy. I don't know why I couldn't come up with anything. I wasn't hearing anything. But he was telling me his situation, told me he had a daughter in Indiana or somewhere, and I was saying, well, maybe, you know, maybe you should go there and let her help you. And he was prideful, and I said some things about pride, but it really wasn't coming out smooth like a pastor, you know. <clears throat> it was just, like, really rough. Anyway, I got him to where he was going. But the whole time, every now and then, he was crying. You know, he was telling me a story, and he was crying. And he would wipe his tears. He would look over and I said, I bet he said three times, he said, I'm just so happy I ran into you, Pastor. Just so happy I ran into you. And he said it again when he got out. I shook his hand, and I drove off. And as I was driving down the road, I said, God, what was that? I didn't have any wisdom. Am, am I backslidden? I mean, why didn't you use me in this situation? And I felt God speak to me so clearly. He said he just needed to know that I saw him. He just needed to know. That's why he kept saying, I'm so glad I ran into you. Because he saw me as a representative of God. And I was able to help him. And that showed him that God sees him. We need to see people. And like Hagar, and like the fellow at Home Depot, People need to know they're seen. Then their hearts will be open to receive the words of eternal life. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.